Good morning and glad you could join us. Did someone clap that up? Nice, nice. Good morning. Uh, glad you guys are joining us. And I know we have some friends joining online, so welcome all our online friends as well. Hi, online people. We love you even if you can't join us. We'd love to see you someday, but glad uh, you're joining us online at least. So welcome to Jericho Road Church. Uh, we're so blessed to be here together as a family, as uh, people connected together, as a community. And so we're in this new series called Level Up, and it's all about practical ways to grow as a Christian. So uh, last week I likened it to video games. In video games, you can do certain things to level up your characters or to get to the next level, and, and so the same is true in our spiritual lives. Last week we saw the first thing that we do to level up is to learn. Learn about God, and we learn primarily about God from His Word. And today we're going to uh, look at the next thing that we can do to level up, and today we'll be talking about pray. So it's 1987. I'm in junior high. My, my mom, she finally allows us to get this brand new, exciting, state-of-the-art game console called the Nintendo Entertainment System, or NES. Now, uh, that game that you saw that they blew the dust off, that old one, that's Super NES. That's later than the one that I got when I first played this video game. And it was so exciting, it came with this brand new game called Super Mario Brothers. You may have heard of it. It also had Duck Hunt, but Duck Hunt was like, eh, it didn't matter. Anyway, we get this brand new game console, but no one had known how to use it. It actually came out in 1985, but we didn't get it until 1987 because we didn't have any money, so we had to wait a little bit, a couple of years old. But it came with this Super Mario Brothers game, which nobody had ever seen before. And the first thing you have to do in the Super Mario, you have to learn how to run your character. And it had this new, didn't have a joystick like the old Atari. It had a little push pad, and you had to learn to run, and it could super run. And uh, that's sort of like last week where we had to learn about God. The first thing you have to do is you have to learn to run. But that's not the only thing you have to learn in Super Mario Brothers. You also have to learn to jump. It is essential that you learn to jump. If you don't learn to jump in Super Mario Brothers, you can't get past the first level. In fact, you can't get past the first screen. If you don't learn to jump, there's this mushroom guy that's going to kill you. We see it right here. It's going to be throwback for some of us. <laughs> see, that mushroom guy would have got you right at the beginning if you didn't know how to jump. At first, we didn't know how to jump. You just run straight and you'd be dead. Run straight and you'd be dead. And so right away, you figure out you got to learn how to jump. Jump is essential to leveling up in this game. And in our spiritual reality, in our spiritual life, jump is like praying. In the game, you don't constantly need to jump, but you have to jump on every single screen. And in almost every situation, you need this jump. And in our spiritual lives, if we want to level up, we've got to be praying in every scene of our life. In every situation that we come up, we're going to be using prayer in every situation that we face as Christians if we want to level up in our spiritual lives. So praying in the Bible, it's both incredibly simple and incredibly complex. Really at its core, praying is just you talking to God and God talking to you. That's it. So it's incredibly simple at its core. And yet there's a complexity to it. The Bible has given us a few guidelines that will help us engage and be more effective in our prayers. So God can hear all your prayers all the time, no matter what. 
And it's that simple. And yet, God also gives us some guidelines. How can you be more effective as you talk to him? How can you, how can you pray in a way that, that causes God to move and pray in a way that, that matters in life, your life and in other people's lives? So this idea of prayer is critically important to our spiritual leveling up. So today we're going to look at seven guidelines to pray. I know wow, pastors always have three of everything, but then we're breaking the mold today. So we have seven of these that are going to go pretty quickly. So let's get into it. Seven guidelines of how to pray. Our first guideline is motive matters. Your motive in praying matters. Jesus says this specifically, and it's recorded in Matthew. He says, and when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And, but when you pray, go into your room, close door, pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So here it lists a couple of poor motives for praying. The first one being, one of the poor motives is, I'm going to pray so that others will notice that I'm Christian, or notice me, or, or, or see what I'm doing. The other poor motive is thinking that I have to use the right magic words, or spiritual words, or somehow lots of words, and then if I don't use those, then God won't listen to me. Instead, he says, no. Prayer is between you and God. And if you have the opportunity, just go in your closet. That's between you and him, and that's it. And it doesn't matter about other people. Now, it is saying pray in secret, but that isn't to say you should never pray in public. That's not what this is saying. What he's doing is that he's contrasting praying to be noticed by people with praying to be noticed by God and God alone. We know the Bible tells us to pray in public. It tells us to pray for companions, uh, pray, uh, prayer, pray with one another. In fact, I think James says, uh, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. He says that in James chapter 5. So he tells us that we should be praying publicly. We should be praying for one another. It's not only in secret, but you see in that passage, it's the contrast of the motive. Why are you praying that? To be noticed by people or to be noticed by God? Now, it's a really cool God incidence that we have an opportunity to pray for one another this Friday. So I want to invite you on Friday to come right here. And there'll be some time where you can pray to God and pray with one another. And so whether it's in secret or public, you do it not to be seen by people, but to be seen and heard by God. Motive matters. James says this, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Maybe that you could spend, spend what you get on your own pleasure. And so motive matters. So our first guideline here is, and it's really just a self-check. There's no way anyone can see it other than you. That, that you could really search your heart and say, God, what is the motive for my prayers? Why am I asking these things of you, God? What is my personal motivation? I love that this quote. There's a quote that says, If God answered all of your prayers, would the world be changed or just your life? I'm so convicted every time I even say that or think about that. If God answered every one of my prayers, would it just be my life's going to get better? 
but the world won't be changed? If so, perhaps my motive is just for me. Now, I'm not saying what any of yours is, but I'm saying that we need to be introspective a little bit about it because motive matters. Why we're praying it matters. The second guideline in is persistence matters. Here's what it says. In Luke, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and they should not give up. And he goes on to tell them a parable that makes that point. Thessalonians, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So like in that Super Mario Brothers games, you can't just jump once, and then that's it. In fact, you can't even just jump occasionally. You have to constantly jump. Now, you can't only jump. Sometimes you've got to not jump, and that's true in our real life. It's not that you, you become a monk, a monk in a monastery, and all you do all day long is pray for, you know, 18 hours, then you sleep for a few hours, then you pray some more. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to only do that, but he wants you to always do that, if that makes any sense. So in my Mario game, I've got to run, I've got to shoot firebolts sometimes, but I've got to jump almost in every single screen. And so sometimes we've got to learn, and sometimes we've got to serve, and sometimes we've got to love, and sometimes we've got to sacrifice, and sometimes we've got to pray. And our prayer has to be continually, not not a single moment like in the morning you, you prayed, well, God, I'm all prayed up for the day. Well, what's going to happen when you get to work? Maybe you need a prayer there. What happens when, when you're driving and someone cuts you off and you want to scream instead of scream out to God, amen, God, I still love you, even though I'm mad. There's all sorts of situations where we need to be praying constantly and continually throughout our day. Prayer is essential if we want to get to the next level. Just like jump is essential. You can't get to the next level without it. Our third guideline, we need to pray in faith. James says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave on the sea, blown and tossed by the winds. Man, this one's tough. You've got to pray in faith. You've got you to believe that God can actually do it. Now, this one's not, the, the first part is not really hard for me. I absolutely am convinced that God can do anything. My, my only question ever comes with God are you going to do something in this situation? What is the answer to my prayer going to be? Is it going to be yes? Is it going to be no? Is it going to be wait? But praying in faith is critical. But Jesus knows that this may be difficult for us. So Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, as small as a tiny little seed, if you have that kind of faith, just a little bit, you have the ability to move mountains. No, it's not talking about topography. He's talking about doing the impossible. So he says, you have to pray in faith. Oh, God, I don't have a mountain of faith. And he says, that's okay. Do you know all you need? You just need a grain. So I, I don't got a lot of faith, but I, I got a grain of faith, like, right? I mean, I don't have a, like maybe a warehouse of faith, but I, I, got, a, I got a mustard seed of, gray, of, of faith. And it's in that place where I rely on God. I get to this place, God, I, I don't have a lot, but I do believe you can do this. I do believe, God, that you care and that you're watching over. And I want to pray this in faith to you, trusting you completely with this prayer. So guideline number three was pray in faith. Guideline number four is you've got to realize that you are not alone. Just like last week we said when you were learning, God's going to help you learn. He sends the Holy Spirit to help you learn. God does the same thing with prayer because it's so important. God helps us not only to pray, but when we pray. 
In Romans 8, it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is why like the how of prayer, or the style of prayer, I don't think it's a really huge issue. Issue is something like speaking in tongues. I don't think it, it totally matters because perhaps you believe speaking in tongues is speaking in a heavenly language or an angelic language. Perhaps that's what you believe. Or perhaps you believe it's just some people babbling, blah, 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 making sounds. But here it says either way, God understands you. So it doesn't really matter. It's not something worth fighting for ever because whether you were just saying sounds or whether you're speaking in a different language, God understands all those languages. He understands, in fact, languages that you can't even speak out. He understands if you've ever been in the place where all you could pray was your tears where all you could do was just, you're just crying. There's no words for it. You just have tears for it. God understands when you, when you got so frustrated in life and you were so overwhelmed that, that you went outside and you just were like screaming out and you didn't have anything to say and you don't know how to pray for it and there's not any words for it. God understands the cry of your heart. God understands even in the good things when someone really right, you don't have the best words for it, but you're like, whoa. Tears of joy, we come sometimes say. Those are all prayers that go without words. And God understands all of them. The Holy Spirit translates both the aches and the celebrations of our heart. So our fifth guideline here is pray in rightness. Sometimes called righteousness. First Peter, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And James, again, he says, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I want to tell you here, all prayers are heard by God. Prayers of God's worst enemy are heard by him. Otherwise, none of us could become believers because you couldn't have a salvation prayer, right? If God couldn't hear the prayers of the enemy. So all of prayers, all of the worlds, it doesn't matter if you're a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or an atheist or an agnostic or whatever you are, spiritist, anything. God hears all prayers. But not all prayers interact with God in the same way. So God hears if you're his enemy and you cry out for salvation and he sends his spirit and he will save you. But he says, for those people that are interested in having a more effective prayer life, the, like James says, the, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. If you'd like to be involved in that kind of thing, not just first level praying, but to pray in a way that it, it affects the world that's around you and your life and those people in this world, he says, then you have to have rightness with God. You have to have righteousness. And does that mean I have to be perfect? No, because righteousness is not found in myself. This is a crazy part. All you have to do is find your righteousness in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, God said, uh, the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. That doesn't mean you have to somehow become perfect, and until you do, God doesn't listen to you. That isn't what it means. What it means is the person who finds themselves in Jesus and Jesus alone and say, God, I, I have no right to come to you on my own, but I do, because of Jesus, have the ability, the honor to come before you boldly, full-faced and open, and pray to you certain things. 
There's a particular favor that comes from God for those who are following him, who know Jesus. Our righteousness isn't our own, but our righteousness comes from Jesus. And so always before I pray, maybe you've had a messed up day. Do you know how you get righteous from a messed up day? Maybe you had a sinful week. Do you know how you get righteous from a sinful week? You turn to Jesus and you confess your sin. And you say, Jesus, I messed up. I've done all these things. And you know what Jesus says? He says, I take that sin and I give you righteousness in replace of it. Now I have righteousness. What do I do with that? God, I can pray now powerfully in you because of Jesus' righteousness that, that comes through him. The prayer of the righteous are, are most likely, why they're effective is that they're most likely in line with the will of God. The prayer of the unrighteous is in line with themselves. But the prayer of the righteous person is most likely in line with the will of God, which is our next guideline, that God matters or God's will matters. In 1 John, he says this, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, know that we have what what we've asked of Him. And so to ask God according to His will, that doesn't mean before a Christian uh, can make a prayer that they have to know what God is going to do in the future. It's not talking about that kind of thing, that that God has some secret plans and you've got to know those ahead of time before you can even pray. Rather, it means that we should ask according to what the Bible teaches about what God's will is. So last week's sermon on learning the word of God is probably pertinent here. The more I know God's word, the more I know what God's will is. I can pray for someone's salvation. Why? Because I know God wants that person to be saved. I could pray for someone to be moved by his spirit and comforted in the time of tragedy. Why? Because I know that that's God's will for that person, that they find peace in him in exchange for their anxiety and worry. And so the more that I know about God, the more likely it is that I can pray according to what his will is, his revealed will in the word of God. So we're praying in accordance to what pleases God, not what pleases me. Remember, motive matters. God, I don't want to do it for me. But God, I want to please you, and I want to pray according to your will, as revealed in Scripture. And then when we do that, then we know that we're praying according to God's will. And our seventh and last guideline is you matter. Now, this is, I think, my favorite passage on on prayer, and you have to have both pieces. Sometimes we have half the half or half the half. There's two pieces to this part, so look at them both. Jesus, this is Jesus talking about prayer. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is a perfect example of of how to pray, but also why your prayers might not be answered the way that you thought they were going to be answered. In the first section, God gives us a blank check to ask and it will be given. He says, you ask and it's going to be given to you. Yet he reserves the right to fill in the amount of the blank check. The caveat is found in that second section. God will only give you good gifts. 
So if you're a parent, think of your kids right now. And if you're not a parent, you can imagine what kids are like. Most of our parents, we would say that we would give the world to our kids if we could, right? Wouldn't you give your kids anything in the world if you could? Most of I think would say that because we love them so much, right? Now imagine that your kid asks for candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then they ask for candy for snacks, and they ask to have candy before they go to bed. You hear them, and just a moment ago you agreed that you'd give them anything in the world, right? But somehow, you won't give them this delicious piece of candy? You monster! Why wouldn't you do that? See, we see clearly as parents, we'll give our kids anything in the world, comma, but not if it's going to hurt them. I'll give my kids anything in the world, but not if it's going to harm them. Not if, not if it's bad for them. Now, if we can imagine as parents that our wisdom is greater than our kids, when our kid asks for candy and we say, have some vegetables first, maybe a little piece of candy later, but have your vegetables, eat your food, eat your dinner, drink some milk. If we as parents have greater wisdom than our kids, can you possibly imagine that God has greater wisdom than us? So that's the position I pray in. God, I think that this would be good. You think that my kid thinks that candy would be good for dinner. They really do. They believe with our whole heart that candy would be awesome for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snack, and before bed. But I know a little bit more than them, and I know that that wouldn't be good for them. And it's possible that when I pray, God, I really think that this is a good thing. And God says, mm, yeah, no, that's not really good for you. So perhaps you've prayed the the prayer, God, God uh, um, give me a new job. God, I, I want this new job or I want this promotion. And God says, mm, that wouldn't be good for you. It would cause you to be away from your family even more, away from your church. If my son comes up and said, Dad, let me play with the loaded shotgun. <laughs> and I say, sure, five-year-old kid, go for it. That's horrific. But, but that's akin to some of our prayers. I'm not going to, don't raise your hand, but how many of us ever prayed, God, I just need some more money? But the Bible's already warned the, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil that has shipwrecked people's faith. So I always ask for more money, more money. And God says, I'm not giving you a loaded gun. I know what more money would do to you. I know that more money is actually a problem for you. And so it may be possible when I, I really believe I need more money because I can't make my huge mortgage payment or my car payment or whatever payment that I have and I'm asking God for more money. And maybe God says, like, actually, you don't need that. That's not good for you. But it feels like it's good for me from my perspective. It's like my kid thought candy was good for them. So I was like, mm-mm, it's not. But... <laughs> You might even cry. Like, I don't get the money. Oh, I'm going to cry. Maybe I lose the house. And God says, I want to do what's good for you. Not just what you want, but what I want. So we ask, but we trust God to do the good. Even if I can't see it. So that's our seven guidelines to prayer. Prayer being an essential aspect of our level up.
and that we trust God completely with those things. We, we come to him consistently. We, we, we check our motives and, and, and we pray persistently and we keep asking and asking. And God will answer all of our prayers. But it won't always be how you think it will be. We've got to let space for God to be God. So I hate to be overly obvious, but, but I think it would be good for us to sort of end our sermon on prayer by praying. Like I know, like crazy, right? So would you join in praying and maybe just ask God to, to help us to pray? Like that's our first one that, you know, he says the Spirit will help us pray, not only when we don't have the words, but help us get motivated to pray. Maybe that's your problem that you, like you just don't feel like it all the time. But the Spirit will help us in that. Maybe to move us in prayer and to meet us in prayer and, and, and to motivate us and change us as we do pray. So let's take a moment to dedicate this next week to just do a little bit more connecting to God, talking to Him, Him talking to us, to focus on leveling up our spiritual lives through prayer. So let's, in whatever words you want to pray to God, and if you don't have words, remember that's okay. He's going he's gonna to interpret the words of your heart right now. So let's pray about praying.